Welcome to Bear Books for the love of indie. We're here to highlight and amplify self-published authors. Hello and welcome to another episode of Bear Books podcast. How have you been, Daisy? I'm absolutely terrific, thank you very much. I've had like two or three little mini breaks this year already where I just disappear for a couple of nights at a time. I'm living my best life right now. How about you? Not doing too bad. I did notice you were off on your jollies again. We went to Rill for a couple of nights. It was gorgeous. Yeah, Wales is beautiful, I've got to admit. It's a, an absolutely beautiful part of the uh, of the United Kingdom. I've been looking at, at going on holiday in this country, but blimey, have you seen the cost? Yeah, where'd you fancy going? I don't know. I wouldn't mind Cornwall, but at the moment you can't get in because it's full of everybody. Cornwall's absolutely rammed at the moment, but I really don't know. I've got two weeks at the end of September. Yeah. So I'm kind of thinking about one of those, maybe going away somewhere for a week, but I'm not yet decided. I'll most probably just take my flask and my chair and spend it on my allotment, knowing me. <laughs> hey, that's free and you'll be sat in the sunshine. That is true. And it's, and it's kind of produce time as well. So just before we recorded the, <laughs> the podcast, I was making black currant jelly. Oh, nice. I will be expecting my quota. We'll have to see. No, yes, Daisy should have been the answer there. <laughs> Sorry, yes, da- yes, Daisy, of course, Daisy. Good girl. Tell me about the flash fiction that we're doing this week. Right. The very thought-provoking and a little sombre this week. So we've got a special guest with us, uh, Jane, who will not read her story out. So there's going to be a bit of a Daisy sandwich this week uh, <laughs> with me as the... I'll, I'll say I'm brown bread. It's a bit posher than white bread, is it not? I like it. Very good. Yeah. So I'm going to be reading Jane's story out for her, which I have to say is really, really good. I'm going to start off with mine, if that's okay with everybody. So if you've got your cuppa and your feet are up, here we go. Stood in her kitchen, Amy was daydreaming. A rare quiet moment in the hustle and bustle of returning from holiday. As a child, she'd loved summer holidays all the preparation and anticipation in the build-up to going away, packing her suitcase with all the new clothes that her parents had bought especially for the holiday. Amy also always made sure that Teddy, her stuffed panda, and enough books for the week were included in her luggage. She wasn't keen on the journey to and from the coast, having to sit in the back of the car with her little brother, so a book would take her mind off his tormenting and whining. Are we there yet, Dad? Most summer holidays were spent on the Yorkshire coast, normally Bridlington, sometimes Whitby, which was Amy's favourite place with its quaint harbour, cliffs and rock pools to explore. Dragging herself back to the present, she sighed. It didn't appear to be this hectic when she was a child. She heard her partner Jeremy returning with the children. They looked worn out and quite sad. Amy assumed it was that they were missing the fun that they had all experienced on their recent holiday. Two weeks on Crete, a fabulous Greek island with white sands that in certain lights appeared to have a pink hue about them. The beautiful shallow lagoon, perfect for the children to bathe in, although they were both good swimmers, something that her partner insisted on, possibly because that was something Jeremy couldn't do and he was too stubborn to have lessons. That was about the only thing that Amy found lacking in Jeremy. Everything else was, well if not perfect, about as near perfection as possible. As she watched him and the children emptying suitcases, putting the laundry into piles to do the massive amount of washing that always followed a holiday, she smiled to herself and in her mind transported herself back to the island. Beaches that were secluded in the morning, 
heavenly waters and if you were lucky you could see seals and sea turtles playing in the ocean. Both her and Jeremy are demanding jobs, made worse by the pandemic, holidays last year non-existent, all four of them cooped up in the house 24-7, Amy and Jeremy working from home, homeschooling the children, on a roller coaster of emotions for over 12 months, frustration, anxiety, worry, encroaching on what had been up to now quite a calm life for the family. So the first chance they got to get away, Amy grabbed it with both hands. For Amy, it had been the perfect holiday. The children hadn't squabbled at all. They had stayed in an idyllic hotel, hired a car and explored. The perfect mix of rest, sightseeing, activity. Who could want for more? Bringing herself back to the present, she could see Jeremy with his arms around the children, hugging them tight to him, and was whispering something to them that Amy couldn't make out. Amy loved the way that Jeremy was with the children, and she commented as much to him. However, Jeremy didn't hear Amy speaking to him, though. He was too busy comforting the children and trying as hard as he could to stop himself from crying, all the time cursing himself for his stubbornness in not learning to swim, because if he had, he would have been able to save Amy from drowning when she got into difficulty snorkelling in that beautiful lagoon. Well, poor Amy. I'm a little bit gobsmacked, if I'm honest. Why? Listening to it, I hadn't quite realised that that Amy... Was dead. Because I knew the mother had died before you started reading it. I'm like, who's Amy? Who's this Amy? She was mother. Yeah, she was the mother. And then you realise... The ghosty of the mother. Yeah, the ghost of Amy, watching the kids and their husband come back off holiday. That's dead sad, that is. What made you want to kill her off and leave her as a ghost to watch the children and husband? I don't know. It's like I said to you earlier on, I struggled with the ending. I wasn't really quite sure what to do. Because it was a fairly sort of, I thought, nondescript, very practical, matter-of-fact story that many families go through. Yeah. So it would have been pretty boring if they'd just come home and had a good holiday. Well, yes, I can see why, you know, as flash fiction goes, we're like a little bit of a, a wow yeah. at the end. So that's the reason why. I just thought, oh, well, I'll make her a ghost. I'll make your Crete's off the list of places to go to. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know why you're worried, because in the end, your ending is, is what makes the story. It's that lastminute.com that I do, isn't it? Yeah. 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 I actually started writing that 50 minutes before we started recording this podcast. April, where's your organisational skills? I was organised. I'd got all the bullet points. I just couldn't get the ending. Preparation prevents piss poor performance. <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> Excellent. Say it again slower. Preparation prevents piss poor performance. Yeah, try to say that when you've had a few. No, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you've tried. <laughs> I can't even say when I'm sober, never mind when I'm drunk. (laughs) But I do like your story. You're only just over the word count, aren't you? I know. Yeah, I am. But you had everything in it that you needed. Yeah. I don't think you missed anything. I think you used however many words it took to tell the story. And on this occasion, it was the shorter version. Like I say, I was prepared. I knew what I was going to write. I just didn't have the ending. And it came came to me while I was making blackcurrant jelly. Well, they do say that if you've got writer's block, do something else. Mm. Because it we- frees your mind, it stops you fretting over something and 
whatever ideas or whatever you need can filter through without the stress. Which is what I did. I made blackcurrant jelly. Yeah, nice then. Okay, on to story number two then from yours truly. Jess sat out on the deck of the chalet she'd rented for the week at Scarborough with a well-earned glass of Lambrusco, which her budget just about stretched to. She was a single parent working a call centre job. A modern-day factory if ever there was one, but it paid the bills. A rogue tear rolled down her cheek that she didn't bother to wipe away. Why should she? Once a year on this date, she treated herself to a bottle of wine. Always Lambrusco as that was their bottle of choice as teenagers. She sat and lamented the loss of her love and mourned the future they would never have. The memories came flooding back as clear as if it had been yesterday. Jess had been on the last summer holiday that she would ever take with her parents. The sun had shone the entire week, the sea was warm, the funfair was in town, it was glorious. Jess was 17, only two months off her 18th birthday, and feeling every bit the young adult. She was positively glowing that summer. She met Sam on the funfair. Mucky blonde hair and a twinkle in his amber eyes, Jess thought he was the most handsome lad she'd ever seen. He was working on the haunted house with his dad, Brian, just as he'd done before him with Sam's granddad. A real family affair. He would stand inside the ride and whenever a car of punters rattled past him, he would jump out and frighten the life out of them. He enjoyed it. It was a fun way to spend time with his family before he was due to go off to university in the autumn. He was stood in the shadows ready to leap out at the next car on the ride, grinning to himself. Some of the faces they pulled when he frightened them had him crying laughing. It was a hell of a way to make a living. Jess was sat in that car, prepared to be scared but smiling all the same. Sam leapt, locked eyes with Jess and fell, instantly smitten. They were inseparable from that day on. The summer of love may be a bit of a cliché, but it was as true for Sam and Jess that summer as it was for any of the great love stories that inspired it. From the innocence of awkward walks on the beach, anticipating the first kiss, to tentative love-making through to all-consuming passion and making plans for their future together. But as with all the great love stories, across time from Romeo and Juliet to Jack and Rose, it's death that brings a tragic end to their love story too. Sam's dad, Brian, had stood before Jess a broken man, trying and failing to speak the words out loud, to explain how one mistimed leap inside the haunted house had taken his son from him. It was devastating. She wouldn't have got through the rest of that summer without her mum and dad and their constant support. She didn't want to carry on. What was the point without Sam? But her mum made her food every day for weeks that she couldn't eat. She was so sick with grief. Until she did and little by little she came to realise that life would carry on, that Sam hadn't left her alone after all. She didn't know it at the time, but come Christmas her oh-so-loving, supportive mum would have thrown her out of the only home she'd ever known, while her dad stood mute. They hadn't spoken in nine years now. In the beginning, Jess had been crushed and had spent the longest time waiting for a knock at the door. 
How could they not want to know their grandson? But time went on, and the knock on the door never did come. Eventually, Jess stopped waiting and learned to live life on her own terms. Did she really want to forgive her parents for punishing an innocent? Matty was eight now, and Jess's world, who was so like his dad right down to the mucky blonde hair and the amber eyes. Just as she was thinking of Matty, he came tearing out onto the deck. Mum! Mum! I heard the music from the fun fair. Can we go? Please, Mum, can we? I'm big enough now. Despite herself, Jess smiled at him as she replied, If you get yourself off to bed and go straight to sleep, I guess we can go tomorrow. Matty kissed his mum loudly on the cheek and hugged her hard, grinning from ear to ear. Yay! Thanks, mum. I'll go straight to sleep. I promise. And as quick as it appeared, he'd gone again. After they'd been on the fair for about half an hour, Matty caught sight of the haunted house. He stared at it, enthralled. Wow, look mum, can I go on there? Please, please let me. As Jess looked over, she saw that Brian was still working on the ride. She caught his eye and a huge grin lit up his face as he saw her. Jess, how wonderful to see you. His arms opened wide to embrace her in a bear hug, but he stopped dead in his tracks when he saw Matty standing beside her. It was like looking at eight-year-old Sam. Brian was stunned. Oh, Jess, why didn't you tell me? Matty went on the haunted house while his mum and Brian talked and hugged and talked some more. When the ride finished, Matty got off and ran to his mum saying, Mum, mum, the ghosts on this haunted house aren't scary at all. One of them sat in the car with me and hugged me tight. Brian and Jess looked at Matty astounded and Brian threw his arms around them both as he said, It's time you two came home. That is really complex because it tells a really good story that spans over years and generations. And it also is quite realistic, really, because there are still parents that kick children out for being pregnant, you know, even in this day and age. I thought it was well written. I do like yeah. it. I like the way it flowed as well. To be honest, because um, obviously I've listened to every podcast from day one. Good. That's and what I've we noticed, like. I've noticed that both of you, both them stories today brought out emotion, which is very hard to do, I think, you know. I think In, it's the word count that makes it hard. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah it is, yeah. Because what you have to get over is a complete story in a limited amount of words, and that takes a lot of skill. Yeah. It also can take out some of the story as well, because there are things that you could sort of expand on, but you haven't got time. Yeah. Yeah, one sentence has got to sort of take up a whole paragraph, if you like. I agree that, yeah. But I I do think that listening to the stories from the beginning... There were just basically little stories, usually with a little bit of humour in, or death. Mainly death. (laughs) (laughs) But now they're sort of like, they're developing into, how can I say, they're developing into real stories that you would, that you could make a a miniseries thing out of, you know, a a little programme on telly. I think... 
we're reading more flash fiction from other people because of the submissions and everything and outside stuff. And we've been writing them for a few months now. And I think yeah. it's just time, practice and learning as you go along. We're sort of on a learning curve the entire time, aren't we? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't want to write a novel. That's something that I've never no. inspired to. Yeah, I think that would be too much. Short stories are okay. Flash fiction is a little hard because of the word count. And you're very conscious of that. Yeah. All the time that you're writing it. But short stories, maybe instead of a um a thousand words, maybe five thousand words, you could probably do quite well because you can elaborate on things. Yeah. That make yeah. the story even better, even deeper. That one that you've just um read out now, I really like that because that takes us from the main character being a teenager to being a mum in I'm assuming a, a mid twenties, late twenties. And it, Yeah, it, she was seventeen it, when she got pregnant. It does get in a lot of her life. So how supportive her parents initially were, but then when they found out that she was pregnant, they, they completely changed. You got in the fact that she's got a job, that she can support the family. So all of that was, was in very quickly and didn't really need any expansion on. I don't think I think that said it all. Good, thank you. So you yeah, you didn't have to go into the emotion that she felt when she got booted out on her own. You know, mm. at 17, or maybe 18 she would have been then, wouldn't she? You know, and it touches a little bit on on the emotion, but not what she went through. You know, did she go into bedsits? Did she go here? Did she go, you know, how did she get where she was? Yeah, that would you take just, it up another level to exactly. a, a short story or novelette or... Exactly. exactly. And I think that's the, that's the hard the bit that's hard about flash fiction because you want to elaborate. I mean, I don't know about you, but if I get a story, (laughs) my brain goes off in a tangent. I wrote one one story and before I'd realised, just in getting the characters from from the family, I was way over the count, so that went in the bin. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like April's done one like that, only April, where it was like at least one and a half times as many words as it should have been. Right at the beginning, you had to like dial it right back. Yeah, and that's the hard part, I think. Now I'm finding that I can get a story in in a lot shorter words, so I'm not needing that thousand word count either. And sometimes, especially with like this one from this week, I don't think it needed any more words. No, no. it didn't, no. And okay. another thing is knowing what to, where to stop, you know, not sort of how to end it, but where to stop. Do you find it, that hard, you, Jane? Sometimes, yeah. You know, like you, you'll find with mine, they'll, they usually end with, I, I know you're not going to read this one out now, but one of them ended with, and the doorbell rang, and I just left it there. Sometimes that's all it needs. Yeah. You've um, got to give your reader a certain amount of intelligence. You can't... Yeah, down yeah. to the people that are reading your story. You've got to assume that they understand what you want yeah. them to understand. Well, Actually, if you write right. it well enough, then whatever you want them to understand will be there in their heads already for them. You'll have already sown the seeds, as it were. Yeah. I mean, since I left school, I've only wrote 
four stories and they're all for this. Cool. A Secret Heart by Jane Love Lady Alice Granger strolled along the promenade for the first time in 49 years, feeling a little sentimental about her life. She'd married well to a kind military man. They had two wonderful children, Miles Jr. and Ada May. She had even dined with royalty in her time. Miles Sr. was a good man. She cared deeply for him and spent her life doting on the children. She laughed as she thought of the daft things her son did as a boy and how sad she was when he was shipped off to military school. But he loved it. He was so like his father, she thought. A smile formed on her lips as she reminisced. She loved her children dearly. Ada May was like her dad too, but could not join the military. She'd refused to marry any of the three men her father deemed suitable. Stubborn as they come, that one, he'd said. Don't know where she gets it from. He'd laughed as he looked at Alice. Miles Senior had died almost five years ago of a heart attack. Alice missed him. His passing was a shock as he was seldom ill. He may not have been the love of her life, but he was her best friend and they had many happy years together. Alice sat on a bench watching young lovers walking hand in hand, laughing together and stopping for the occasional kiss. Then she noticed two girls holding hands. Her mind wandered back 49 years to when she first met Ada, a striking-looking dark-haired lass of 18. She had the most beautiful blue eyes and an infectious laugh. Within two weeks of meeting her, Alice spent every working moment thinking of her, which was very confusing. This just wasn't the way one thought about girls. She wondered what had become of her friend after they parted on Blackpool train station all those years ago. Alice was a little cold. She absent-mindedly pulled her coat around herself as her mind wandered back in time. Her life had been all mapped out for her. It was the last holiday she'd take with her parents. Next year she'd be 21 and married to Miles. She would have a large house, staff to manage and children to bear. However, before all of that, there was Ada. She wasn't sure how the relationship developed so quickly. Maybe it was Ada's contagious zest for life. She'd grasped every moment with both hands. She was an intelligent girl, full of ideas and aspirations. She remembered wondering if Ada would ever live life in her own terms, which was almost unthinkable back then. Alice recalls one afternoon about an hour after lunch, asking Ada what she would like to do. Let's get changed and go to the tower for tea, Ada replied. The two had gone up to Alice's room and as Alice undressed, she noticed Ada watching her. At first she was shocked, but slowly realised she liked her watching. She smiled as her friend came closer. Alice, you're so beautiful, Ada whispered. Alice blushed and Ada touched her face gently. I want to kiss you, Ada said. Alice had surprised herself by leaning forward and pressing her lips on Ada's. The two girls stopped for a moment to look at one another before kissing once more with growing passion. They drew each other closer and undid their clothes. The feelings were overwhelming like a fire burning within them. Then the most amazing feeling ran through Alice throughout her body, right down to her toes like nothing she'd ever known before. When Ada achieved the same feeling, the two girls lay on the bed and giggled. Over the next few days they explored each other more, taking each other to new heights, growing closer and closer. On the last day of their holiday, the thought dawned that the next time they met, they would probably be with their husbands. 
They hugged as Alice boarded the train, with promises of writing to each other, staying in touch. But as is often the case, life got in the way. Alice had never got back to Blackpool. Holidays were abroad with Miles, usually for work. She wondered if Ada ever returned. Did she ever think about that summer when they touched each other's hearts so intimately? Alice felt a little sad. Alice, Alice, is that you, lass? A voice from behind her was calling. Come on, lass, let's go swimming. Alice laughed to herself. She closed her eyes. She could see Ada in a blue costume with white edges on the skirt. Don't wear the hat, Alice's memory said. I like the way your hair clings to you when it's wet. She smiled at the memory. Alice, Alice, the voice again, persistent. She turned to see a woman waving to her. I knew it was you, the woman said. The two ladies looked at each other and they hugged. Least we won't get arrested for this nowadays, the woman said as she laughed. No mistake in that laugh, Alice thought. Ada, what are you doing here? Alice said. Waiting for you, my love, she replied. Alice smiled. I have thought about you so often, Ada, she said. Why did you stop writing? I called my daughter Ada May after you. I missed you. Every day I thought of you. All the words came flooding out of Alice in a rush. Ada just smiled at her friend. I know, she whispered. Shall we walk along the beach? Yes, that would be lovely, but I don't walk so well these days, Alice replied. We could dance if you wish, Ada laughed. The next day the headline read, Lady Alice Granger died in Blackpool, aged 70. Pictured here with her companion, Miss Ada May Simpson, who died in 1944, shot dead by firing squad for sheltering Jews in France. Both ladies holidayed in Blackpool. Such an emotional ending. I like it. I'm not a great lover of gay fiction. I don't know why. And I suppose that's possibly the wrong thing to say. It's not something that I would pick up and read. Because half the time it's not realistic. Okay, yeah, yeah. In this case, it is quite realistic because I have known quite a lot of women who've, let's say, come out in later life. So they've married, had kids, and then as they got older, uh, someone once said to me that if anybody that had had a lesbian or a homosexual thought about the friend or had indeed had had a liaison that nobody knows about, turned purple overnight, you'd probably be shocked at how many purple people there were the next day. And I think that that's quite true. Yeah. I don't think I would be shocked at how many purple people there will be the next day, to be fair. I've been been gay and, and out and proud since 1979, which is a long time ago. But it just never... I don't know whether it's because there's a reality there and then... You know, I pick up gay fiction and I think this is absolutely nowhere near reality. And it's funny, really, because I think the only book that I've ever read that I've thought was anywhere near reality was that one that Victoria Holmes wrote that we reviewed on the podcast, Daisy. Do you remember in season one? I do remember. And it was just crazy. And it just reminded me so much of 80s in Blackpool. It's quite funny that, Jane, as well, you've chosen to 
to sort of base this in Blackpool as well. That I found that quite ironic too. Well, the thing is that I needed the tower and sort of like the spa at Bridlington don't quite have the same ring and everybody sort of knows about the tower and the tea dances and, yeah. you know, things like that. And that's what would have been big in them days. The middle class sort of went there as well as the lower class. Yeah. It's not actually a gay story. It's about a love that... Yes, that at that time was forbidden. Yeah. Yes. I didn't want to make it into a a lesbian thing because she had a good life with the husband. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why Ada had to be dead when they... Or one of them had to be dead when they met again. Yeah. So that it didn't focus on the lesbianism. No. It focused on the, the the heart, basically. Yeah. I think you are right in what you say, that, that this was something that happened a lot. So in the 40s, they did have feelings for the same sex, but because of the the stigma that was attached to it back in the 40s, you know, it happened behind closed doors and nobody saw any, heard anything about it. You know, then people got married. And you're right, repressed their actual true feelings for years and years and years. Yeah, yeah. Brave enough, old enough, wise enough. Not or meet somebody what, that makes them strong enough. Yeah, or not bothered about what other people think about them. Yeah, but you've also got that contingency that never do anything about it and die without ever. Yes, yeah. They're, fulfilling they're how they feel. There are those that do that too. I mean, in this day and age, it's much more acceptable, you think. Up to a point. That, yeah, there are still hate crimes going on. So let me round off by asking you, Jane, about your writing. Go on. Have we lit a fire? Are you going to write more? Um, It's something I've found that's like my drawing painting when i'm in the mood for it i can spill it out 20 minutes later but to be honest that to me is going too far i've never watched a film with zombies in it yet oh you should do they're brilliant i love them (laughs) i think the answer was yes then to my question oh sorry yeah (laughs) (laughs) with that much natural rhetoric jane it would be a shame not to carry on writing sorry I wonder yeah. if death in, in all its guises, because it is something that we use quite a lot, do. does death make for a good story? It's one well, thing th- nobody can escape. Yes. And I, and I think in some ways everybody wants the perfect death, don't they? But what's the perfect death? I just want to go to sleep and not yeah. wake up. Yeah. And I think... That's probably the perfect death. But when we're writing, we don't write about the perfect death. We don't, ever. Because it's boring. How is it boring? Well, if I'd have said that Adrian passed away in her sleep... But it's how you use it. Yeah. I mean, I could have just said she was killed in war. Absolutely like the way that she was killed off. I thought that went with her character... Well, it explained everything. It explained the lack of contact. It did, yeah. So in that that last sentence, 
you kind of got the rest of the story yeah. as to why, you know, like Daisy said, there'd been no contact. Yeah. yeah. And the same with yours. It was the, when you sort of like realised actually she's dead, that pulled all the story together. Hmm. Yes, the, definitely the ending of April's made the entire thing work. Yeah, because up to that point it was rather mundane. It was about somebody packing for holiday and taking the teddies and doing the laundry. That's also relatable to the largest majority of the population. That's true, yeah. Thank you very much for that, Jane. Um, Jane Loves, who's been our special guest this week. We're back to reviewing indie books, I believe, next week, Daisy, aren't we? I have to say, mine is an absolute doozy. I have gone full-on erotica. <laughs> oh, wow. first for me. <laughs> Amazing. And it is raunch personified. I have to warn everybody in advance. But also, before I do the review on the next episode, I do want to just say that the book that I reviewed is called COVID Blues and Twos by Onyu Fox. And she has since reviewed and re-edited and re-released the book. So I just need to point out that my review is based on the first edition of COVID Blues and Twos. Why are you reviewing? I'm reviewing a book called Ullendale by Liz Martinson. And I'm beginning to think, so I've not started reading it yet, I have got to say, I'm beginning to think it might be a bit of a romance. Because it's about somebody who finds a dream job at an upmarket, upmarket, come on April, get your words out, at an <laughs> upmarket Scottish castle hotel. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's, so I think Ullendale is, is about the new Earl of Ullendale, so we shall see. But it does appear at first glance to be a bit of a contemporary romance. Looking forward to hearing how that actually turns out then. I hope it's got a bit of depth to it, because I remember back in the day, my mum used to read Mills and Boone novels. Oh, God. And when I got nothing else to do, I remember picking a couple of them up and reading them. Well, I could read one of them in about an hour and a half. And it was just, well, it was just twee. You've got to say that back in the day, they were very, very, very successful, weren't they? And some of the writers that I remember my mum reading some of the books of, those writers are actually still around today. Mind you. I imagine Mills and Boone had a primarily female readership. And because of the nature of the books, I just imagine all these middle-aged ladies that have no longer got romance and passion in their lives, shall we say, reading these and living by proxy through Mills and Boone. What do you think? You could be right, but that's, really, that's a sad thought, actually. It is a sad <laughs> thought, that. Well, we are those middle-aged women now. Yeah, that's true, we are. Do you know, it's really funny, actually, because I've just Googled Mills and Boone. Yeah. And they are still going. Get off, are they? They are, yes. They're still publishing books. And they've been publishing for above 100 years. I do hope the format's changed slightly. You know, women yeah. have votes and things now. We have come on yeah. a little bit since then. That's really weird, isn't it? Wow. Maybe it would be interesting to actually review one, you know. Yeah, but that's not indie authors, are they? No, I suppose not. No, no. so it's not. See, so you've just saved me from reading Mills and Boone. I, I really have. I talked myself go. into it then. We go off on a tangent. We always do this, don't we? I know, but 
It just can't be helped. It's how no. nature is. It's how we are. You mean we talk a lot? Yeah. <laughs> right. Shall we stop talking and let people get on with their day until next time? I think we should. So, yeah, until um, until the next episode, it's bye from me. And me. Take care, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Now you've had a listen, why not pop over and join us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Or if you want to send in your stories, email us at submissions at bearbooks.co.uk. Bye.